Hello, everybody. It's Pastor Adam. Wonderful day today. I'm going to bring a word of encouragement. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we are grateful for this day. We thank you for this opportunity. We ask for our hearts and minds to be open to what your word says, that we receive it, that it will marinate on it, and that it will just get into our bones and marrow and make us see things the way you see things. And we, we want to get rid of the things and burn off the dross of those things that are keeping us in bondage to get a better understanding of why we're here and what it is our purpose is to be, Father. So we thank you for all this and ask for your continued blessing over us. We thank you in the mighty and matchless name of Jesus Christ. Amen. All right. So today I titled this <clears throat> State of Mind. And, um, you know... I'll start with this. You know, have you ever had a mood, you've been in a mood that's not very good, a bad mood? Now, we need to be reminded that the Satan wants to steal our joy. Jesus said this in John 10, 10. He says, I have come that you might have life and have it to the fullest, have it abundantly. Jesus also said, I want your joy to be full, right? Galatians tells us in chapter five, joy is a fruit of the spirit. The prophet Nehemiah said, the joy of the Lord is our strength. This thread is throughout the word of God. So I think one of the, you know, it's, it's just woven, woven through the scriptures in the value and importance of joy. Now the enemy, he does not want us to find anything valuable such as joy. So he uses all kinds of ways to steal and confuse us regarding having joy. In other words, he wants us sad, depressed, discouraged. Now, one of the realities for us Christians while living here on earth is we must learn and understand how to properly battle. Like, we're in a battle. And one way is by understanding that the Holy Spirit's presence will uncover the roots of our issues that keep our joy from manifesting. But our tendencies are to mess around on the surface of our issues rather than dig deep into the issues that we have. And it's, 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 it's a challenge. It's hard to admit this, but I wonder how many of us would say we are a moody person. I think if you counted up all the days in one calendar year that you were in a really good mood and all the days you found something to be you know, unhappy about and, and be in a bad mood, I wonder which side would win. I'm not trying to be judgmental here. I'm just, just saying this. I'm, I, I, for myself, I'm still working on this. I, I have to deal with this. And I, I, I just don't have a problem admitting it. I don't really mind saying that. It's not going to define who I am. It just defines that I'm human. I mean, I think it's, you know... I think it's safe to say something like when I look back on my life and evaluate things, I'm certainly better than I used to be, but I'm equally sure I'm not yet where I need to be. And that the truth of this matter is I just can't wish, you know, for this to transform or only pray that this goes away. I have to pray for it and also be real and admit there is some junk. There's some like maybe roots that that God's been digging around in and digging up that is showing me the real issues that I have to address in my life. 
And for so many of us, our problem is really not what we think our problem is, but rather our problem is how we respond to issues. And we have to hear this over and over because we don't want to believe this, but, but here it is again. It's not the stuff that's going on around us that makes us unhappy, but rather it's how we respond to the stuff that's going on around us that makes us unhappy. We, we tend to think it's about all the circumstances in our life, but that's not the truth. It's about our decisions, about our worldview and the attitude that we take toward the things that happen to us. For instance, you know, the way you, you and I physically feel today is usually a result of what we ate the day prior. Now that, just that observation is dealing with our physical state, our physical condition. So I would contend, well, does that apply to our emotional condition? Meaning, does our mood today reflect what was going on yesterday? For instance, if you have an issue that has not been resolved in your life, like, you know, possibly something like not forgiving someone or not talking to someone honestly about that thing that happened between you and them last week or last month or last year. And these are just, I'm just giving us a couple of real practical examples to make the point about how our emotional condition is based most of the time on what happened yesterday. Or how about this? How about this one? You go hang out with someone and you are, you know, critical, judgmental, and maybe it could be said you're gossiping about someone else. And to top it off, you whitewash it with the common phrase, well, I just wanted to share that with you so you could pray because I know you won't tell anybody. Now, here's the deal. If you don't take responsibility for what you just did, meaning that you don't do that at all or stop in the middle and realize I have to stop doing this and admit it to the person you are with or in the or at the very least, realize that you have sinned and repent and get right with God. And Because if you don't do that, I can almost 100% guarantee the next day you will be in some kind of, you know, not the best mood and you'll be wondering about what went wrong. Now, don't confuse what I just said with somebody that's seeking, um, you need advice or you're dialoguing with somebody that you respect their opinion so you have to bring up some things that goes on. That's a different, that's different. That's different altogether, okay? But, you know, I'm just asking us to be honest with ourselves and seriously find out and ask yourself if you want to get better. Do, do you want like a better state of mind? Because I think too often we have to ask God, why am, I, why am I not in a good mood? Why am I in a bad mood? I think many of us feel either you know, depressed or angry or discouraged or hopeless. And that is mainly because we don't pay attention to what the Holy Spirit's trying to tell us about us, about ourselves. So as you're hearing this, I hope you're smelling here what I'm cooking. And I further hope you're going to be tasting what I'm chewing regarding this issue. Okay, so now that we've got that out there, let's discuss another aspect of, of our moodiness. And that is we need to keep things in the proper perspective. 
Okay, so for instance, something is going wrong in your house and then you hear from a friend what is going on in their house and suddenly you don't feel so bad about the things going on in your house, okay? Like, does that ever happen to you? <laughs> Excuse me. See, many times all it takes is for us to interact with somebody else and see the reality of what is going on in their lives and then, you know, it's just like, wow, like that stuff that's been going on. Remember, one of the reasons the Holy Spirit is here to guide us is into all truth, to, to help us not live deceived. The Holy Spirit is our teacher and guide, and he leads us because he loves us. And furthermore, he doesn't force us since we have free will. He shows us one truth after another truth after another truth. And most of the time, when he reveals something in our life, it is because he has prepared us for a new season, a new thing. And, and we've got to work with God when he shows us that thing that's in the way from receiving the new level or the new path he wants us or the new victory. That, that is why it's so important to run towards the giants in our lives. Because, folks, that giant is something that God has set before us to bring out that thing that is needed for us to move on to the new season. Because if we deal with it, you know, then we can move on instead of going around the mountain again because so many times we choose not to deal with it and we're stuck in arrested development. We can't move on to the next thing God wants for us because we won't deal with that thing in front of us. Look at what Psalm 32 verse five says. I acknowledge my sin to you and my iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, continually unfolding the path till it is all told. Then you instantly forgave me the guilt and iniquity of my sin. Hallelujah. Look at what John chapter 8 in the New Testament says in a similar vein. John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32. Then Jesus said to the Jews who believed in him, If you abide by my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and that very truth will make you free. So right here, the Messiah, God, Jesus in the flesh, is being straightforward, saying that we can't just show up once in a while to hear the word of God. If that's your pattern, then he's telling us you don't really know the truth. But if you continue in the word of God, we are truly his disciples, and we will know the truth, and that very truth Will, will make us free. Hallelujah. Now it's given that most, if not every single one of us, have experienced rejection. But if we continue in the word of God, we can defeat those things that have defeated us. See, many of us are discouraged and down because of the way other people have treated us. And, and many times that leads to what we are calling today a bad mood. Now I know it's very hurtful when other people mistreat us, reject us, abandon us, abuse us, misuse us, say hurtful things about us or to us, and they disappoint us when they're not there for us. I mean, wow, isn't, there's just a lot of messy things with life, with people. But the truth is, wherever you go, you can't do without interacting with people. And so the point is, we, we've got to grasp this. We've got to, you know, we better learn how to deal with people because you will get in the way of someone else's bad mood and you cannot let that destroy your joy. 
I just want to exhort you to say today is the day we stop letting someone else's bad behavior steal our joy. Don't don't let someone else's bad day make your day bad. I mean, life, without a doubt, will bring obstacles, uncomfortable situations, disappointments, pains, hurts. But here's the, the reality. Whatever we do with each one of those situations is, is up to us individually. We, we can choose, we can allow it to hold us hostage and control our every thought and emotion. You know, we can continue to just rehearse that over and over, giving it more power over our lives. Or, here we go, we can make a decision to let it go. Now, now yes, it hurts. Yes, People will let you down. Yes, things turn out the way, things didn't turn out the way you expected. Yes, I know you've been treated poorly. Yes, there were those that were just not there when you needed them the most. But here's the reality. Here's the thing. Is dwelling on it making anything better? Is rehashing the situation over and over and over (laughs) gonna change what took place? No, but you know what it does do? It keeps you angry and too often, sadly, in an unforgiving place. The, the thought of forgiving the person or the people that hurt you may seem you know, very far-fetched, but holding a grudge actually hurts you more than it hurts the other party. The process may not be an easy one. No one guarantees that it is, but God has sent a helper, an advocate, a comforter, referred to as the Holy Spirit, to walk it through with you. One of, one of my favorite understandings of the characteristics of the Holy Spirit is that he runs to our side and picks us up. So therefore, no matter what state, emotional state we find ourselves in, you know, spiritually, mentally, or emotionally, we can lean on the Holy Spirit to get us through. I think I want to use this analogy. Let's compare a bad situation to like a cut or a bruise on our, let's say our knee, like we fell and scraped our knee, got a cut or a bruise there. Now there is definitely pain involved in getting this cut or bruise. And there is definitely a healing process that, that, will, that must take place. And as the wound begins to heal, usually a protective scab appears and frequently, you know what happens? We're tempted to pick the scab. <coughs> and, you know, I think we know this, but usually we don't when we're young and we're told by our parents, but we don't listen or a doctor or whoever. But here's the deal. Removing the scab actually hinders the healing process. Yes, the scab can appear like not attractive. Appears kind of ugly, right? But it's serving a purpose. Okay, well, in that very same way, this is true in our internal wounds. First, we have to accept that it, whatever the it is, happened. You got to accept that it happened. Then we have to clean the wound. How do we do that? It's called forgiveness. Forgiveness is cleaning the wound. Then we bandage the wound. What is that? That's prayer, seeking the face of God, right? And finally, we have to allow the scab, which is the Holy Spirit, to do his work and accept the healing process. But here's the deal. If we pick at the scab, in this case, if, if we're rehashing the situation over and over and not letting the Holy Spirit be our help and comforter, that wound doesn't heal or, or it will just take way longer to heal. 
This is where so many people are stuck in situations in their life. They'll come up to me and go, you have no idea what happened to me. You know, they'll say this and I'll be like, well, I don't really need to know what happened to you. I just know you're hurt and you're showing it in all your things. You're not showing what God has done for you in your life. You're showing what this thing did. That's not, that's an incongruent testimony. And folks, this, like what we're talking about, this isn't complicated. It just boils down to this, this simple thing, a choice. You have a choice. Do we want to prolong our healing and stay in a bruised place by continuing to pick at the scab? Or will we, we allow the, heal, the, the wounds to heal properly by letting it go and moving forward? I mean, honestly, folks, many of us, we, we, we run into someone saying or doing things to us, right? We just talked about get, that gets us go, to go deeper and wonder if they're saying about us is right. I mean, that's what goes on. People will say, you know, they'll run into someone that we were just talking about and it gets us to go deep and wonder, you know, if what these people are saying about me is right. Like, that's the place, though, folks, where the truth resides. I'm just saying a large majority of people's problems are rooted in the way they, they perceive themselves. Because here's the deal, honestly. We don't have a very good relationship with ourselves. That's why we treat our neighbors not very good. Jesus says, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. Well, we don't even like ourselves. <laughs> Here's the deal. You gotta renew your mind. Gotta renew to mind what you're hearing here and let, let it penetrate deep into your soul. And your soul consists of your mind, your will, and your emotions. You know, I say this most every time I minister. Romans 12, 2. It's, it's my go-to scripture. It's my favorite scripture. Right? Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. You know, it's unfortunate, it's, it's sad that way, way too many of us get our value from our social standing, you know, especially now on social media, or, you know, what we drive, or what's in our checkbook, or, you know, our position in society, or, you know, some will go as, you know, whether they're married, they get value, whether they're married or not, or what neighborhood you live in. I mean, the list is long and distinguished of silly things that we use to make our rationale or, you know, what sports teams you support. I mean, it's just, it's just juvenile. We've, we've got to move beyond the worldly stuff and find our worth and value in the truth that Christ died for us. And the father said, I love you and I adopt you as my own son and daughter. I mean, if we can work on a better relationship with ourselves, the less it will affect you when some of these things we have been talking about today manifest in our lives. I just want us to notice that throughout all we have been talking about, not once did you hear me say, it's not gonna hurt. Not once. In fact, I've said it multiple times, it will hurt. That's what Jesus says. That's the problem with our, if you've been being taught by certain pastors that everything's gonna be hunky-dory, that's misleading you, it's inaccurate, it's false, and it has guided many people down the wide path. That's not the narrow path. The narrow path is life is hard, get over it, let's move on. <laughs> We've gotta gain a different understanding when the enemy is attacking us and, and us feeling that, attack 
vice letting that attack defeat us. I mean, here's the reality. I don't like when people I don't like it when people say unkind things about me. But you know what? It comes with the territory. What that all that means is if people aren't liking you, you know what that means? At least you can look in the mirror and go, at least you must be standing for something because somebody's upset with you. You must have taken a position. And guess what, Christian? If you're a Christian, Jesus clearly stated multiple times, they hated me first. They're going to hate you. <laughs> I mean, that's what always blows my mind when, when I hear some of these inaccurate teachings going on by people to gain followers in Christianity. Here, let's read this scripture recorded in the book of Hebrews. It's Hebrews chapter 12, verses five through 13. The writer says, and you have forgotten the teaching which has been told to you as to children. My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord. Let your, not let your soul faint when you are rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens, and he disciplines the son with whom he is pleased. Now, therefore, endure discipline, because God acts towards you as towards sons. For where is the son whom the father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, that very discipline by which every man is trained, then you are strangers and not sons. Furthermore, if our fathers of the flesh corrected us when we respected them, how much more then should we willingly be under subjection to our spiritual father and live? For they only for a short while disciplined us as seemed good to them, but God corrects us for our advantage, that we might become partakers of his holiness. No discipline at the time is expected to be a thing of joy, but of sorrow. But in the end, it produces the fruits of peace and righteousness to those who are trained by it. Therefore, be courageous and strong and make straight the paths for your feet so that the member which is lame may not suffer, but be healed. Hallelujah. Amen. So I want to ask this question. Who loves their children more? The father who allows the child to do what will harm them or the father that corrects, trains, and even disciplines the child to help them learn what is right. This is that saying I, that gets some people a little upset. But I say misplaced compassion is complicity with the devil. Let me give you a for instance right now in our culture. This transgender thing. If you think it's right to allow your child, let's say you have a son, and you think it's right for your son to claim he can be a girl, and you support that and encourage that, you're complying with the enemy. You're complying with the devil. That's totally against what the creation and the creator has done. I'm just saying, that's how simple this is. Folks, it is never pleasant to be corrected and disciplined, but discipline, correction, sadly, doesn't get taken this way, but you know what it is? It's a sign of deep love. When God corrects us, it is proof of his love, and he's trying to teach us something. Now, in that scriptures we just read in Hebrews 12, did you notice the word therefore at the beginning of verse 12? These verses are not only talking about ourselves or an individual. It's talking about those who else can see, like other people are going to follow our example. And we have a responsibility to these other people if we are living for Christ. This is part of our testimony to show an unbelieving world. 
Do you see how backwards it is for a lot of Christians to try to, to compromise with the, with the unbelieving world on these issues of all these sexual issues? The LGBTQ, that just that whole alphabet soup, every single one of them. If you are listening and you are troubled and concerned about this and maybe a little upset with what you're hearing from me, I am loving on you and telling you the truth. That is against God. You have decided to go down the worldly path and rationalize and claim that your compassion is right when these people are living wrong. We are to be constantly looking in the mirror to see if our example makes it easier for others to believe in and follow Jesus Christ. Or will you follow those you end up confused and, and mislead people? Those people that are following you, are they gonna be confused and misled? I mean, there's not a person I've met that I know enjoys being persecuted. I mean, we all wanna be uh, accepted. We all wanna be you know, admired. Now I'm perfectly aware and it's crystal clear to me that you know, I'm, my, the way I talk, my style, isn't for everyone. And I'm not going to change to please everyone. I got to be who God made me to be. And this pain that people can, I, I, I'm just using myself, it's of rejection is very real. And it's, it's usually very intense. Many people that have experienced a severe rejection at some time in their life are hurt so badly that they spend the rest of their time in relationships trying to avoid being rejected instead of giving the new relationship a fresh start with a, like a clean slate. I mean, is, is, is this making sense? I hope this is making sense. Because folks, if all we want to do is do the two-step around the rejection issue, then we become a people pleaser. And if we're a people pleaser, then we are not a God pleaser. If we are a people pleaser, then we also will not be fulfilled and satisfied with ourselves. And people can sense that. They can like smell it out in each of us. Meaning if, if they know you will give them what they want, then they're gonna use that to get you to give them what they want and they won't respect you in the end. So I guess what we gotta understand, we have got to get to the place in our lives where we can handle being rejected. This is not a small issue. It's a, in fact, it's a rather large issue in our culture today. I mean, just look at what social media has done over the last 15 years. So many people before social media wouldn't compromise. But now they compromise at the whim of one comment that will call them a hater and then they can quickly apologize. It's just embarrassing. And it's such an incongruent testimony for the Lord. I mean, what, look at this. I mean, when a child does not have the right relationship with their parents, it's a very hurtful situation. I mean, if a child is abused and the parents who are supposed to care and love that child abuse the child, then the child is wondering what is wrong with them to cause the parent to abuse them. The children look at it that way. I know a little bit about this because that's what happened to me growing up. I was told a lot in my, you know, when I was, under 10 years old, that I was not a wanted child. I was a mistake by my mother. She repented later on. She totally apologized. 
but it was hard for me, especially as I'm growing up in that type of environment. And, and as a teenager, uh, I didn't deal with it very well. I was very angry with my mother and I did not like her. And we mended that fence when I got to in my early 20s and I started to realize that there was other things going on with her and it wasn't my issue. It was her issue. Because as a child, you don't have the ability yet to know that the parent has a problem. And the younger you are when this happens, the harder it is to overcome because the root gets, is very deep. But I'm telling you, you can overcome it. I know, I did. It was by the grace of God. And I had to look at things. I had to forgive her. I had to go look her in the eye and forgive her, hug her. She broke down. I broke down, right? And we had a great mending. Joseph in the Bible, Joseph's brother threw him in a pit, right? But he ended up in a palace, right? I mean, if you know anything about Genesis chapters 37 to 50, it covers this incredible family story of Joseph and his brothers. I think, I think most of us would say it to some degree, we didn't have like a good beginning, but you know what? We certainly can have a good finish. You know, another thing that happens when you have been rejected is it affects your perception, meaning it affects how you see things and how you will begin to imagine that things are happening that are not really happening. Many of us don't think we have a root of rejection because we walk away from the problem, but still have the results of those problems in our soul. And when we receive Jesus Christ, we submit to Jesus to come and live on the inside of us the, the, that renews the, Holy, the, the dead spirit in us, but our souls are still all messed up. We're a tripart being. We're a soul, which consists of the mind, will, and emotions that lives in this cavity, this, this thing called a body, and, that, and initially we have a spirit, but it's dead. When we're born again, the spirit is, is born again. We have a born again spirit. It's now it's new. So this journey we're on needs the help of the Holy Spirit to cleanse this messed up soul. And, and I'm talking, this is, it's cleaning up the way we think, our attitudes, and the way we act. I hope, I hope this is, you know, making sense. You know, in Psalm 23.3, David says, the Lord restore, restores my soul. But we can't, to, you know, it's just, it's hard for so many to seem to process that when we have this root of rejection, and furthermore, we don't really understand that we don't get along with people. For instance, something as, a, as common as when you get in a, degree, a disagreement that doesn't make sense with someone that you care about. You get in a disagreement with someone you care about. Like, for instance, like something very simple and you can't agree on it and within minutes, the discussion escalates to Mount Vesuvius proportions. And all of a sudden, it, it's just this little thing turns into a war. And, you know, you might be like scratching your head is like what you're confused as to how did it get to this point and you start what I call is the dance it's not a real dance but it's like you say something like I, I, I can't talk with you anymore right now and then you re the reply from the other person is something like don't tell me you can't talk to me about anything because you don't want to listen to anybody and then your rebuttal is something like well there is no point in us talking because we can't ever talk without this manifesting and then the comeback is something like, well, don't tell me we can never talk. I hate that when you say that. I'm just using that. Have, have you ever done that dance? I, I know that's getting personal, but come on now, be honest. 
I'd contend you probably have done that dance. Maybe it's the norm in your life. Because, I mean, it started out with, what did you need from the store? And it turns into you thinking you have to end your marriage or you got to end that relationship. You know, for me, I think it was when I was reading a book that said we each have a couple of major bush buttons that are, you know, if, if they get pushed, look out. It would really help us to know what those buttons are. And for many of us, the root of rejection is one of those buttons. Because we filter everything through that root of rejection that happened when we were really little. And folks, you know what that is? That's God showing us right here and now what we need to address. For instance, if you're sharing your opinion and someone rejects your opinion, then because of events from your past, we process their rejection as if they're rejecting you as a person. But they're not. They're only rejecting your, your opinion. They're not rejecting you. And, real, and really, that is why we can't talk about stuff because of that root of rejection. We're afraid to bring things up because we're, gonna get, we're probably going to get, re, our opinion is going to be rejected, but we process this that, that we're going to be rejected. Mainly, here's the deal. A lot of us can't handle people not agreeing with us. So, I sure hope that this is helping somebody today. You got to know who you are in Jesus Christ. You got to know that, that Jesus looks at you with value, that you have giftings of the Lord, and that God created you for a purpose. And we don't, we can't allow our circumstances to affect our mood. God bless you all. Let that marinate on you and soak in. God bless you.